ser benfiquista é uma crença. É uma religião muito grande. A visão é um culto. A coragem, que é a liberdade, que é crer, que é vontade, que é o caráter das pessoas. A alma de quem é grande, maior que os maiores. É uma paixão que eu tenho explicação. Eu não consigo explicar o que é ser do Benfica. Eu sinto o que é ser do Benfica. Mas de facto uma paixão. E as paixões são assim, vivem-se assim intensamente. Aqui não há nenhuma razão. É paixão, paixão, paixão. Ser Benfica. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Talking to the Doll Befica podcast. Episode number 370 is what uh, we're up to. A very round number for a very uh, odd time or not. Uh, my name is Alfredo Fumasic, as always, uh, hosting uh, the Befica podcast with me tonight. Cristiano Oliveira. Cristiano, how are you? That good, huh? Doing a silent protest. <laughs> I'm not speaking until we yeah, until we win another campeonato. Then I'm screwed. All right, I'll talk. I'll talk. What's going on, everybody? How you doing, Alfredo? Dave, our special guest here tonight. Everyone listening, what's going on? Hopefully, you guys are better than I am. Yeah. And uh, also, uh, on the other side of the border, uh, up north, Dave de Oliveira. Dave, You uh, you made the wrong decision on using uh, I can't be on the pod token last week. This should have been the week that you used that token. Bad choice, well, my friend. Uh, How are you? First first off, good evening. Uh, it's uh, good to be back on uh, this week. I thought I was going to have to do a, a phone-in uh, interview last week if uh, I was expecting Laj to be fired uh, last week. So I was scrambling to uh, find some... Uh, internet but uh luckily enough he got fired this week so i'm back on to uh couldn't miss this uh this podcast tonight yeah our guest is michael gonçalves he is the man behind uh o Cantinho Benfiquista, uh site you could find uh, a lot of opinion uh, recaps on games michael welcome my friend thank you good evening to everyone and, and thanks for for you guys having me on i appreciate it and look forward to having a uh constructive and somewhat painful conversation <laughs> so let's uh let, let's set the 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 set the <laughs> let's set the the setting uh for for how we come into you uh today so laj uh was let go um today of officially today uh yesterday was talked it was talked that he was going to be dropped after the maritime game but today was official spent five hours at the seychelles uh meeting with the with the with the powers that be and after five hours he exited along with a couple of his uh, uh a couple of members of his technical staff uh so um Befica also communicated to the cmvm that they were in contracts with laj uh for his uh, exit uh so obviously Benfica will have to uh, pay him some money i believe he was signed up till 2024 if i'm not mistaken so um quite a little bit but uh you know um We'll get more into that. Let, let's let's uh, get this this Maritim game um, right off uh, right off our plates here first. So we'll we'll recap the Maritim game. We'll look ahead to uh, Boa Vista, which is the game that comes up this Saturday, uh, and we'll also talk about uh, what's going on uh, with Benfica. So uh, Benfica traveled to the Madeira Island to play Maritim. Um, Benfica lined up with Vlaco Dimas in goal, Almeida right back, Jardel and Ferro in the middle of defense, uh, Tavares. Uh, was on the left, Weigel and Samarish um, in the middle, Pizzi on one wing, Servi on the other, Chiquinho behind Vinicius. Now, uh, we found out that Tarapt had some kind of a sprain. I don't know if it was an ankle or, or a knee sprain. 
uh, but he was a late scratch. I don't even know that he made the trip. Uh, Gabriel is uh, going through. I think he's, he was uh, sitting out for his game, five, five card, yellow card suspension. Yeah. Uh, as was Ruben Diaz, of course. So uh, we saw Samaris. Samaris, which is a, a fan favorite. I saw him in the middle with Weigel. And, you know, like, I, I have to be honest, uh, no surprises here on this on this lineup. Um, I'm surprised. Well, no surprises. Perhaps Cristiano was surprised that he dropped Rafa in, in favor of Servi. Yeah, I think if there was a surprise, that would, that one would definitely be it. But, you know, as we stated on last week's podcast, at this point, uh, Lodge was trying to work up every last magic trick he had up his sleeve and trying to see if something would bail him out of, of this current situation. And, uh, again, we, we could, you know, go back and, <laughs> and, and go over these things, you know, with, with a fine comb and uh, go back to the game at the Dragon when, when there was ever a game that said he should have started, that possibly should have been it. And he didn't get a start. And now when you definitely need to win, you need goals, you need the team to attack, you need this team to be creative and something we haven't been since the restart here. And all of a sudden, Servi comes out of the woodworks once again. Same thing with Zivkovic. I mean, there's just so many things that we could sit here and point, pinpoint. Um, it's just, I, I look, it stinks I'm of de- desperation. I'm at the point that I am so thrilled and excited to have our good friend Michael Gonzalez here today because the least I could talk, the less I could talk, the the, the best it is for me, man. I just uh, I'm deflated. Um, I know we're here to do you know what we've always done. You know, in good times and bad times, we're always going to show our face and to talk about Benfica. And definitely, this is not a good time. But I'm just it's just you know the, the air's been sucked out of me. And we could try to spend these first 30 minutes in a positive light. And a couple of players who actually perform really well, we could, you know, applaud those guys. But at the end of the day, man, we can't hide from the fact that we know the, the final result. We know where we stand today. And it's just, it's, it's very difficult. It's been a very difficult uh, last 24 hours, very difficult night. And, you know, some of you might think, you know, maybe it's just an exaggeration. I'm overdoing it, man. But, like, this shit really hits the core, man. It's... It's been tough. It's been yeah, tough. let's let's um let guys let these guys give their opinion. Yeah, well, why don't you when shut up for a little bit and let uh, everyone else talk? It's time to attack. I'll, I'll just knock on my door. I'll be here. <laughs> so, but Michael, I guess uh, I'll I'll go right to you. Right. So, not a not a very bad first half, or at least twenty minutes of of the first half. Benfica came out hungry. Uh, they looked like they wanted to uh, do something early on. Uh, missed two very good chances. Uh, and then afterwards, we saw Maritim kind of level things up in the half. But really, Benfica deserved to go into the half at least up one. Yeah, I would agree. I thought the first 20 minutes we looked livelier, um, a lot better than we've seen in, in quite some time, definitely at least since the restart. Um, that miss from Vinicius, though, I, I've not, if for anyone who's read the blog, I, I'm not his biggest fan. I know that he scored some goals, and I've gone back and looked at some of the goals that he scored and kind of the positioning of them. And That miss for me, as soon as he missed that chance, I told myself, this was it. Like, we're, gonna, we're not going to win this game. It's just everything seems to be against us, no matter what. And it seemed after those first 20 minutes, we came out hungry. They, they looked, you know, really fired up and then it kind of just died down. Maritima started to control the game a little bit more. We started to chase the ball a little bit more. And then it, it's almost like it was either a disinterest at that point or um, confidence was lost or a mix of that and um, fatigue. 
I think those first 20 minutes, they, they pressured so high. They were just all over them. Maritimo couldn't get out, and then they, they blew their chance to score a goal, and after that, it was just a, an uphill battle all the way. Yeah. And, and Dave, um, really, you look at this game, and, and as Michael pointed out, uh, you see those those first couple chances, but if he got acting and really the goalie just playing out of his skin to make those saves – And you really wonder if this is going to be a game that you could be here all day and you're not going to get that score. Uh, but it really then, it turned into uh, Benfica showing their fragile state where they couldn't get, get it together and they couldn't find enough in their tank to keep it going to smother Maritim. Yeah, and, and we're playing Maritimo this week, but this has been the same same situation. Uh, insert any other small team in Portugal that we've been playing against recently. If Benfica does not score right away and does not um, does not capitalize on their chances right away in the uh, in the first half uh, and impose their their game on these smaller teams, uh, these team these small teams. They get the opportunities uh, on the counterattack, and uh, they make the best of their 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 opportunities. I mean, I believe in this game alone, Maritimo only had two shots on net, and they ended up being the the two goals uh, that uh, they scored. So, uh, like we said, Vinicius and I believe it was uh, Shikingu that also had uh, sitters right in front of the net early in the first half. Uh, goalie played out of his mind, but. Like I said, it doesn't. Uh, it seems to be any uh, small team that we play in Portugal. Their keepers are always playing out of their their minds when they play against uh, Benfica, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't get the the early goal. We didn't capitalize, and uh, like you said, uh, it, it shows how fragile this team is when we don't get uh, our goal and we don't uh, command the lead because they can uh, kill us on the counter attack, and then uh, we're at their mercy. Maritimo ends up getting on a scoreboard in the 74th minute. Then four minutes later, they would add a second one in a play that looked like an identical copy uh, of the first goal. Um, I think, and this goes back to again coaches being able to read what Benfica is doing, Benfica being so predictable, and seeing how Tavares was going up on that wing. Uh, As soon as they caught, they got space in, uh, behind Tavares, they put the ball through and let the speed take over. Uh, Ferro was beaten, Zivkovic was beaten, and really Almeida in the second post, at least on one of the goals, Cristiano, was walking back, couldn't even defend against the guy that put the ball away, an easy tap-in on, on a far post. Right now, the name escapes me, but who is the, 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 the dude on the right side that set up both goals? Nanu. That he looked like my man was on skates while everybody else was on quicksand. I mean, he looked like he put on the next gear, and like you said, Alfredo, he took advantage of of that right wing, Benfica's left wing, and, and it just he tore his apartment. We couldn't stick with him late in the game, and it just seemed like once Lodge starts touching the team, once he starts making the substitutions, the team starts to fall apart, and it's just something we've criticized all along that every time he goes to touch or he either doesn't touch it in time or he makes the wrong substitution, he, he just doesn't identify what's going on in other teams. Once again, another team was able to take away, uh, take advantage, I should say, of our uh, instability in our game once again because our coaching staff wasn't able to identify and they took advantage of it and credit to them. Uh, but it's, it's, it's well, you know, it's too, too many games, man. It happens in such a constant or, you know, it happens week after week 
Um, and it's just, look, it's, I'm glad that it's finally over, but whew, I'm scared about what's, what's coming next. But for now, uh, <laughs> I, dude, I just, and it, it, it was ugly, man. It's five it's, substitutions and all five did not make a difference. And I, I do understand the Samari substitution because when he came off, he looked like he was hurting a little bit. And I don't know if it was from that tackle that he had just before he came. It looks like he got hit in the back. But when he uh, when he comes off the field and he's walking on the sideline, he did look like he was grimacing a little bit. So I don't know how much of that was uh, an option because of his of his physical condition, or if it was really Maritim was just behind the ball the whole time. Why do we need two holding mids? Alfredo, I think that it was more a sign of of desperation. I think that's that sub was made in the fifty eighth minute. I think that they were pressing so hard. Obviously, as you guys stated, Benfica played the first about 30, 20-something, 30 minutes of the game. They they played well. They created. They had their opportunities. Credit to, to Gigi Buffon on the Maritimo net, who was able to stop everything. Uh, but then in the second half, they didn't get into the locker room. The pressure starts to mount, and he just stops making it. Take out defensive players. Let's throw in strikers. He brought in Rafa and he brought in Sferovic, I believe, in the 58th minute. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the team starts to fall apart because there's no one in the center of the park that's able to contain and it's able to, to create anything. And it just that's when, again, as I stated a few minutes ago, once he starts making the changes, it's when the team starts to collapse. Michael, what can you pinpoint on this second half as you saw it uh, as Benfica starts breaking down? Um, one thing that I noted for sure was – and it's been a constant over the over some time now, but on that left side, uh, Sedvi offers a lot on the defensive side of the ball. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily might not notice it, but if you notice, Sedvi comes off in the 73rd minute. He's playing on the left-hand side, supporting Anunu Tavares, who for me defensively is not very good. He's got a, a pretty good left foot. And he can put a ball into the box, but defensively he's very suspect. Um, he's not the quickest. Positionally, He's not very good. And he's playing alongside Ferro, who has been in a poor run of form and is not quick, right? So you take Servi out, a minute later, Nanu breaks down that side and goes by Zivkovic, who just came in for Servi, and goes by Ferro like he's not there. Um, and there's that first goal, right? So again, back to what Cristiano said, right? The awareness of Bruno Lage being unable to necessarily read the game properly. Um, and when and when it comes to making substitutions, again, it, like Cristiano said, it's it's almost like he's he's uncertain of himself, and he either takes too long or makes the wrong decision more often than not. And one thing that comes to mind for me was proof of that is that Leipzig game where we blew it. Right, he took forever to make the substitutions, took forever, took forever, took forever, and then we blew it. Right, so I think that's the one thing that stood out for me was as soon as Serbi comes out, Nuno Tavares loses that support on that left side. And then it's just a comedy of errors. And then Ferru gets beat twice the same way. I mean, this guy wants to go to his right foot. You know he's going to his right foot. He's fast, right? Stop him. Make him go to his left, right? Make him cut inside where Jardel is going to be waiting for him. Instead, he's got no one to support him on that left side. He lets him go to the outside and just leaves him for dead. And it's just, it's incredibly frustrating to concede a goal like that first one especially when Zivkovic can just take a yellow card and, and follow him in the midfield right we don't have someone that's willing to make that dirty foul to just get the card and stop the play right Maritimu did it so many times to us in the first half so many times and we didn't do that and then the second goal just 
it was coming and we got lucky with the third goal that he was off sides. But if that game had lasted another 10, 15 minutes, we probably would have conceded another three or four. That's how bad it was. You said something and a sad realization popped into my mind. When you stated, incorrectly, when you stated, you know, uh, Nuntavares is not really good defensively. And then I started to think, okay, uh, our other guy that plays a lot, Grimaldo, not good defensively. Then you go to the right side, Almeida, not good. Tomas, uh, like, do we have any Latrais that are good defensively? <laughs> no, Second, and we really don't. It's been a problem for so long. Like, our first options aren't that great. Grimaldo played out of his skin, you know, two years ago, right? But he's been in decline over the last year and a half. Um, and that Almeida has never been a great right back, right? He's filled in the role, but we've never replaced Nelson Smith. Right. So our first option isn't great defensively. Our second option is even worse. I, I mean, Nuno Tavares and, and Tomas Tavares, for me, are miles away from being anywhere close to Benfica's first team. But we didn't invest in the areas that we needed to invest. And it's shown over the last couple of games. Yeah. Uh, yeah look, and we'll have plenty of time to, to break down the, the planning um, of the season once we, we start rec, uh, recapping the season. But certainly, uh, Michael hits uh, on, a, on a great point. Uh, the planning and looking at what our options were past the starters, right? And if you want to be somebody in Europe and if you want to have a presentable team in Europe, you got to have a team that doesn't have such a huge gap between the starter and the second guy because as you play that many games, you're going to need people fresh, whether it's to play in Europe, whether it's to play domestically. But that's a whole uh, whole subject, and we'll, we'll get into that after the season uh, is over. Um, so, 2 nothing. Benfica loses this game, and I mean, I, I think we all four of us can agree that the, the championship is over at this point. There's a seven point, at least a seven point gap uh, between us and Porto. It's really six, but with the head to head, Porto has that, uh, and there's no way with five points, five games remaining, that Porto is going to give up uh, seven points, uh, despite them being really inconsistent this this season. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to have uh, many teams that are going to uh, really give them a problem until the end of the season. Uh, Dave, numbers on this game so we could uh, move on to uh, to Lodge's firing and, and some of our opinions. Yeah, so uh, the one that's been beaten uh, down is uh, two wins, six draws, five losses in their last uh, 13 uh, games. Uh, Benfica's worst record uh, in the league, in league competition through 29 games since 2010-2011. So they're at 64 points right now. In 2010-2011, they were at 62 points after uh, 29 games. Uh, Benfica's uh, winning percentage through the first 19 games of the season was uh, 95%. Uh, these last 10 games, only 33% of the out of the possible points. So. That's a big one uh, right there. Yeah, three points. They only lost three points in the first round. Benfica did. So, Laj is uh, gone. In a flash interview, he said that he felt that the players with him were with him. Uh, inside in the locker room uh, with the coach, with, the, with Luis Fufiera, he said that he felt that nobody wanted him uh, here uh, in the team. Uh, and I think that that statement speaks a lot about from... Uh, from the, the guys at the top, the directive, uh, from the players, uh, from the fans. I think that at this point, Laj is feeling no love. And, and obviously, spending as much time as he spends with the players, 
seeing what he did last season, uh, seeing what he did the first half of the season, and now all of a sudden really looking like he's lost some of these players and these players are not responding uh, to his uh, to his instructions. Um, Chris, I, I got a, a big problem uh, with what's going on with Benfica, and I can't solely put it on on Laj. Um, I think that there's there's a three part problem here: Luis Felipe Vieira being one of them, uh, Laj being the other one, and the players being other ones. I think the fact that Benfica, and with reason, obviously treats these players very very well right we've heard of the tales about cats being rescued uh, uh late night trips to the pharmacy whatever um i think that these players feel that they're almost almost untouchable and i can't help but to feel bad for Lodge because i really feel that the players have turned their back on him and have abandoned him with probably with the exception of one or two I think the rest of the team is probably not with Laj anymore. But I, I, I have a huge bone to pick with some of these players. And to be quite honestly, Chris, I've lost a lot of respect for some of the guys that are the pillars of this locker room because I really felt that they set up Laj uh, for this whole situation. There's so many avenues I could go down here, right? It's starting from the post-game, like the flash interview that Lodge said on the field that everybody's with him then it ends abruptly and he leaves then he goes into the locker room apparently he puts his position up for grabs then the president or for whatever he resigns whatever then he offers a resignation then the president comes up finally shows face and for the first time he said something in a long time that I actually agreed with guys which is I'm the one that fought for all this. And so, Alfredo, you identified a three-pronged you know, problem here. With You said to you, it's the coaching staff, it's the players, and it's the president. At the end of the day, and you're absolutely right, you can pinpoint things here, but at the end of the day, it's 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 Luis Fibieta. The coaching staff is not as good as we thought. Who appointed him? He did. The players that have turned around and, and bashed two coaches now, right? The, the majority of those guys that are in the locker room that have set up both coaches. To Who brings those guys in? Luis Vieira. Look, and then you could also go down the other avenue that we touched on last week. Once key influential guys in the locker room, the Luisons of the world, the Jonas, uh, the, 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 the Salvius, those key guys, even Fesha to a certain extent, once they leave, you let, the culture of this team, right? You left it up. The leadership left up to these guys that, unfortunately, as you said, we've all lost a tremendous amount of respect. There's just so much negativity going on right now, and it's really difficult to break it down because, as I said, we can pinpoint all those things, but ultimately, the one responsible for every single one of those decisions is Luis Fliviera. Michael, what's what's your take on this, man? What do you what do you take away from this whole situation from the start of the season um, till now? Uh, so from that that stellar first half uh, of the season where we only lost three points, uh, then to uh, going to the Dragon, squandering a seven point lead, and ultimately now seeing yourself with five rounds to go, seven points really behind Porto. Yeah, I think. It was almost like a, the victory of the season last year was almost like Bruno Lage's uh, biggest achievement, but also worst enemy, I think. Um, it built the expectations up for him. Um, 
it, w- it was easier for him to walk into that last season with no pressure, right? The expectation was we got a B team coach. We're packing it in. We're just going to get through the season. And all of a sudden everything just fell into place and he turned wine into uh, water into wine. Right. So this season, if we're being honest, we, for the most part, I would say we haven't played great football, right? We've had some pieces here and there where we've played some good games away to Sporting. We, we came away with a good result. Um, you know, losing at home to Porto was a frustrating result. Going there and losing was a frustrating result. And then after December 1st, it's just been complete chaos, right? So I think, like you guys said, right, between the president, the, the coaching staff, the inexperience, um, and the players uh, have have a huge uh, part to play in this. And and for, I guess, the biggest thing for me from the president's perspective, outside of the politics and the investments and whatnot, um, there's two things that stand out for me. One, he cannot allow something like this to happen in the dressing room. I mean, it happened to Rui Vitoria. He saw what happened. He allowed it to happen again in, in short time after, right? I mean, Rui Vitoria, they, they set him up. Right. I mean, it was clear and obvious those two own goals against Portimonense. I mean, was <laughs> it, it, they couldn't make it more. The only way they could make it more obvious if they turned around and passed it into the net. I mean, it was just comical, right? And then over the last couple of games, it's it's been just poor, right? And I had some hope after those first twenty minutes, but then seeing the goals that we missed, and then after that, it's just like you guys just don't care, right? And and it doesn't take all of them; it takes a few. Right. And a few guys that have been there longer, they start telling the younger guys, listen, this is what we're going to do. If you're not on board, then, you know, there's going to be a problem. Right. And one, he allowed that to happen, um, which is a huge problem. I think also in, in, in uh, another piece of that is he allowed it to go on too long. I think maybe after the Portimonense game, he should have pulled the trigger, if not worst case after the defeat to Santa Clara. Right. Where we still had somewhat of a chance. Right. Give that emotional boost to the team. Um, like it happened last year, and see what comes of it, right? Now we, we're in even worse position. Um, and now he he's essentially just chasing his tail at this point. And, and I fear that he's going to end up making, uh, you know, as we would say in Portuguese, by uh, fazer uma loucura, to save himself. That's what I feel is coming. And it's going to end up being something that isn't necessarily the best fit, but it's something that's going to generate some sort of reaction that he's going to try to save himself with the election. But I hate having to make decisions based on trying to save ourselves when we could have made a decision the proper way and educated ourselves and done the proper research and get the right decision in and the right option. And instead, I feel like now we're in a spot where we, we shouldn't be and uh, it's, it's not a good place to be. Yeah. So the word out of the Seychelles is that Verissimo is going to, uh, at least for now, be the interim coach. Um, and Cristiano, we were talking off air, uh, and I think we, we all agreed that no reputable, serious coach would take over this team right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think he, at the same time, I think... Look, I think I've told the story here on the podcast multiple times of, of how I've been told that uh, Renato Paiva is like the real football mind inside the whole academy and whatever, that the guy's a tremendous coach. And, and, and he can't run the risk of appointing him as a replacement coach as the interim for now and have happened 
uh, once again what happened with Lies last year, which is have this guy go on, win five games, win the Tasa, which, look, uh, the season might be lost, but the Tasa is important. But if he has only won like three or four in the last 25 years, they absolutely have to attack. And again, it's a better team uh, roster-wise. Hopefully they show up for that game. That's a conversation for later on. But he can't have that risk, Alfredo, of of him winning off and then him having to maybe be forced by the fans and having to bring him back because that's exactly what happened with Bruno Lodge. Um, I just, look, man, it's it's tough. I, I, I told you this off the air multiple times. Anyone that's credible, anyone with the CV is not going to want to take over now. The only way they do is, one, they're going to get paid up to buy the wazoo, and two, he's going to, uh, you know, Luis Fabiera is going to have to concede a tremendous amount of power with something that obviously he forced JJ, the most successful coach under his tenure, he forced him out the door because he didn't want to give him that much power. He's trying to change things. He And ever since then, it's just been downhill. We, you know, year after year, the team has gotten weaker. The roster's gotten weaker. Uh, our results have gotten worse. Uh, you know, if you really want to be critical, and you guys know I love being critical, you know, this is something that this whole – uh, how do I put it, negative outlook on, on Luis Luke Vieira, or at least the pressure that the fans are putting on him by, by, by the, that result that we've seen on Friday with the General Assembly where they, they rejected the, the, uh, the budget. This should have been done going back to when Benfica lost 5-0 to Tabasso. I mean, this could have gone back to that. I mean, this we have maybe should have revised this a while ago, and we didn't. We just allowed them to, to get deeper and deeper and deeper. and Because and, everyone, like Alfredo, you and I have had this conversation on the pod. But, but Who's gonna Who's gonna run against him? Who's gonna Who's gonna you know be the president? It's just and I think he's he's really um, taken that and 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 kind of become a dictator because he believes in 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 a lot of that crap because no one out there believes that there's someone that could actually run against him and and, and win. So it's just it, this whole thing is messed up, man. Look, any coach that's gonna come in, it's gonna be after that August second Tasa Portugal final against Futebol Clube do Porto, and then. We'll see what happens. Uh, that locura, we're still yet to see what I look. Benfica just got another loan. I don't know if their 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 you know their pockets are as well aligned as as, as he likes to preach. I, I just I don't even know what locuras is. I mean, Mike, what are you thinking? Dave, what are you thinking? JJ, I mean, I want to bring back Rod Stewart. You guys know how I feel. That's my man. But that's that's about the only locura. I mean, anyone else? I just I just I just don't see it, man. I just it's I'm having a difficult time with this. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be hard. It, it's going to come down to Vieta, whether or not he wants to relinquish some, some power and, and admit that things aren't going right. Uh, current state with how uh, the operations are running there, because it's easy to get another puppet like uh, Vieta or not Vieta, Vitoria and, and Laj. And I think that's maybe that why he gave Laj such a, a big extension to 2024, because he knew he could control Laj. Laj could be his puppet man and it worked for the half season last year so he gave him that big extension um, but if he wants to get anybody serious any serious manager in Europe we're hearing uh, like Pochettino, Emery uh, even um, the uh, Spalletti in Italy any of these credible European managers they're not going to want to come to Benfica if they don't have complete control or even some control of this roster construction. So that, that hits the point about the president. And then whoever you bring in as a manager anyways, he has to have a clean slate of uh, players to work with. Get rid of any of these cancer, uh, any of this cancer in the locker room. You've, uh, you've seen this core group of players now together for at least, what, five, six years. 
uh, it's time to to move on from these core pieces and, and start fresh for whatever manager the club decides to bring in next year. Look, Luis Fleviera said yesterday in the post-game press conference that he was going to speak to his family and they were going to look at the situation and see if it's, it'd be best for him to continue or for him to even resign. And here's the situation, man. It's, he's in a tough spot because either way, whatever decision he makes, you're going to critique either way because any coach that's credible like that and you bring in, that it, it, the only way that those guys are going to want to come in is, like you said, they're going to want to have – say, in, in, in the construction of the roster, which means most likely it's going to be about a win now, worry about the future later, which means you abandon the Seychelles mold that they've that this guy's been preaching about for the last 10 years. So yeah, you they, but Pochettino, Pochettino was one that used the, uh, the, young, the young players in, in Tottenham. He could be one that could maybe be a hybrid where you invest in uh, Seychelles still, but also mix in uh, some credible players with the young guys, which is what something that we've been calling for on this podcast for a couple of uh, years now. It can't just be all Seychelles, Seychelles uh, and no, uh, no reputable players uh, in there. And right now what they're doing is they're pushing these players before they're ready to be uh, a team senior squad players uh, just for the Seychelles project, right? But I think Pochettino would be able would be one manager to to be a hybrid. Dave Pochettino had no other choice at Tottenham. Daniel Levy wasn't spending any money because he was saving it all to build a stadium. So he had no choice but to use whatever the hell he had around him. Now, the other thing is this, Alfredo. We touched on this already as well. If you guys remember years ago when the B team coach held their uh, former Central Benfica Portuguese national team, Deportivo La Coruña, and um, I think he might have played somewhere else, but those are really the two teams I remember most. He used to be the head coach when 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 Juan Felix first made his debut there. Jota was a youngster. Uh, Lindelof was still even there. And he said at the time that th- they have a system. They have, you know, a, a way of molding players and getting them ready to play on the main squad, which was they needed to, Alfredo, correct me if I'm wrong, make at least 80 appearances on the B team, correct? Yep, between uh, B team and uh, the uh, under-23 team. Yeah, and, yeah, and exactly, and under-23. And we've seen them abandon that so-called mold, right? We saw Tomas Tavares, who doesn't even have 20 appearances down there, make his debut, not only not not make his first team debut, not in the Portuguese league, but in the Champions League, in the first game of the Champions League against Red Bull Leipzig, right? You never you played for the B team. Never. Oh, I said 20, so it's even less. So you have, like, all of a sudden, what happened in their mind that they abandoned that mode? What happened? Why? If something was working, Renato got a bunch of appearances. I, I believe even Ruben Diaz got a ton of appearances. Same thing with... with um. With Ferro, all of a sudden, you see these other kids just getting promoted and start, you know, being a part. And it's not just a part, but like they're being key figures starting caliber, not caliber, but in the starting lineup and expected to come up from the juniors and expected to perform at this level. It's just not going to happen overnight. There's only a few Juan Felixes in this world. Even Renato Sanchez might not have been ready football-wise, but physically, my man was a man-child. He could run with everybody. Yeah, and look, it it all goes back to what you're saying, uh, Cristiano, about uh, taking away some of the control of the team and and going more to the Seychelles uh, because the Seychelles, albeit used, you know, sparringly by JJ, was never really his intent. But if when you look at at some of the rosters that JJ had, man, I mean, Garay, Siqueira, uh, Aymar, Saviola. 
I mean, these are these are guys that are known in the world game, right? Uh, when was the last time Benfica uh, bought somebody, aside from Weigel, which was a good sign, uh, that was known in the world game in these Look, past four or five years? And we should give credit to Weigel because many of us started to scratch our head and question whether this was a good signing before the pandemic. And ever since then, he's been our best player bar none. I mean, he's he played really well once again yesterday. This guy seems that... You know, the time in Portugal, you know, working out at home and, and you know, get, and getting his, his home-cooked meals by, by by the team, it seems like that he was able to adapt, and he's a totally different player than what we saw here in his first uh, half of – or first half of his – half at Benfica, if that makes sense, whatever his time at Benfica. <laughs> yeah. Credit to uh, him, though. Look, it, it, it just it, – it begs to, it begs the question, right? Uh, how can you be somebody competitive in Europe when half of your roster is composed of young kids that – have yet – and look, I don't have anything against the Tavares kids. I actually think that Tomas Tavares is a very talented player with tons and tons of potential. You just can't hurt – you just can't skip steps in your evolution and in your growth process. And it seems that when you rush these kids and you put these kids in a position where they got to perform or perform – a lot of them are going to succumb to the pressure. And a lot of them are going to be judged by the Tercero and L. And it's not really fair for them. It's not really fair for Tomas Tavares that he was put in a position that he could either succeed or fail. And it was a bigger chance for him to fail because he doesn't have the experience and the know-how. Uh, he hasn't even played against second division players to play, to make his debut in the Champions League, no less. And I do understand that Andre Almeida was hurt. And if Andre Almeida hadn't been hurt, then perhaps uh, uh, Tomas Tavares never even sets foot on the field. But these are the things that you got to plan for. These, This is the foresight that you got to have. What happens if Grimaldo gets hurt? What happens if Al Almeida gets hurt? And the solution for uh, Almeida got hurt, what was the solution? The solution was to play Nun Tavares at, at right back when he's not naturally a lefty now right off the bat that's the wrong decision and you still had plenty of time to hit the market and get a, a right back that was going to compete with Andre Almeida and at the same time be a mentor to Tomas Tavares bro ever since Nelson Smith left they went they started with Douglas remember the brazuca they started with him that didn't work out. They go to Almeida. Look, I think Almeida is the best one of them all. I think he looks like a superstar here because compared to all the other junk that we've seen, and again, I, I, I'm with you. I think Tomas Tavares is a player there. He's just way too early. He's way too raw at the moment. Uh, but it, it's just he's done. Luis Vieira has done. This is two, through two different coaches now, right? The Vitoria era and now the Brun Lage era. He's the one that's identifying these players. He's the one, unfortunately, I don't know what my, 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 what my idol was doing over there, Rui Costa, but it seems that Luis Rivera is the one that's making these decisions and acquiring players, and he's, he's had a, a difficult time in identifying, not identifying, but at least in reinforcing that problem ever since Nelson Smith left. Look, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, to defend Brun Lage uh, here. Uh, right, and I may have one or two arguments that I can that I can defend him on, uh, but here's the, here's one of the things that he, he he said repeatedly during the preseason. We saw him here at ICC saying we need a competitive, a short competitive squad. Uh, he, he spoke about a, a, a backup goalkeeper uh, to compete against Vlako Dimush, not necessarily to replace Vlako Dimush, and he spoke about a few other key positions that he needed that he wanted reinforced. W was he given the reinforcements? No. Uh, reinforcements? No. Uh, 
Uh, but also, you know, you work with what you have, right? Uh, but uh, I can't help to think, but like Stiano mentioned, this all tracks back to one particular person, the guy that's in charge of opening uh, uh, the purse strings, the guy that's in charge of authorizing whether or not they're going to spend money on players. Uh, so it kind of all reverts back to him. But the way the season was planned uh, was all wrong. And we kind of see ourselves in a position where we don't have strong figures in the locker room. We don't have players uh, that are veterans in the world game, guys with experience, guys that have been in locker rooms with tremendous other egos, uh, what are the big teams that we've seen before. And I think that it's definitely a case, and, and I mentioned this, that it, it's kind of the, the 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 crazies running the loony bin at this point. How do you let a team now twice make the bed for a coach? They did it to Rui Vitori. And I'm, I'm not saying that Rui Vitori is an excellent coach and he deserved more uh, because he really, he really wasn't. Uh, but we saw the team give up on Rui Vitoria. Cristiano and I were privy to conversations of people on the inside that said that Rui Vitoria was, was a bad coach, that he didn't know how to organize training sessions, nothing. Um, and, and, you know, the players clearly had a, a role in what happened to him. And now we see uh, what the players have done uh, to Laj. And like I said, I feel a little bit sorry for Laj, but perhaps he kind of brought this upon himself because if he had a little bit more balls and if he had put his foot down and if he had brought guys into his office to say, hey, what is going on? I, I need you. I can count on you. What's the deal? Uh, and he has to know what guys he could go to war with and what guys are just going to turn his back, their backs on him. And I have to point that out to Brunelage that he wasn't able to recognize that, either that or he didn't have enough authority in the locker room, which I have another problem with that, to be able to put his foot down to assert his authority as a head coach in the locker room. As a head coach, you got to have complete control of that locker room. No player or no factions of players should should have authority over your authority if you're a good head coach. And that's one of the things that, uh, that Laja is lacking. Uh, I don't know. I don't know uh, what much else I could, I could say about, about Laja. Certainly a guy that uh, when he first took over Benfica, uh, I loved hearing him talk about X's and O's. I love hearing him breaking down different phases of the game. Uh, and I know, Michael, you, you, you know a bit about the game. Uh, and certainly when you saw a guy like that come in and have that type of discourse and have that type of explanation and really breaking it down for the fans and getting away from, uh, you know, the referee calls or, or this and that and really explaining the game in its purest form, it was, it was a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah, I agree. I'm a... Uh... I guess, unfortunately, I'm I'm a bit of a romantic, so I, I I appreciate the coaches who can come in and have a humble um, and straightforward uh, discussion. Um, and the way he presented himself, again, came across as someone who was educated, knew the game well, he knew kind of the intric intricacies of it, um, and was able to kind of set aside an ego of sorts, even though he didn't have a CV to, to have a necessary ego. But... Um, even as it went on, he continued with his, you know, the idea, jogu jogu, game by game um, mentality, which I appreciated. And then as things started to kind of unravel, you could yeah. tell that now his mindset starts to change a little bit. And I, 
I guess one thing that I wanted to touch on that you guys said that you guys haven't necessarily pointed out was specifically is at the beginning of the season, um, we loaned out uh, Pedro Pereira, who's a right back, who I don't like. Okay. And instead, we decided that we were going to keep in our roster um, and that Almeida, who is injury prone, um, we have uh, Tomas Tavares, who's we just spoke about. And then our, our other backup right back was Ebui, the Nigerian who hasn't played. And he's been hurt since he got here, right? So whose decision is it to allow this to happen, right? And, and I don't know if it's Luis Vieira's too involved in the day-to-day of the football, which I think could be a big problem. Um, I had made a note here about that. I think he's too involved in the day-to-day, and I think he needs to step back and allow the people that he's hired, like Rui, uh, Rui Costa, like you know uh, Tiago uh, Pinto, and those guys to, to focus on what they're there for. And instead, I feel like he's just involved in it so much day-to-day that it's creating some problems there. But this one just in itself calls out, right? I mean, you, the three options that you're left with aren't very good, right? And then you're going to loan out a natural right back when you could potentially need him, right? And then you have the option to go into the transfer market, even to get someone on loan in January, and you opted not to do that. But the other piece to it, I think, from Bruno Lodge's perspective is he wasn't able to be creative with his decision-making. Um, one thing that stands out to me is that the uh, Europa League final with Benfica versus Chelsea. Um, do you guys remember who played left back for Benfica in that final? David Luiz. No, Malgarejo. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. You're, oh, oh, I'm sorry. The one before that. Yeah. yeah Malgarejo, who's, <laughs> I mean, he probably doesn't have a defensive bone in his body, right? But George de Zeus, was able, and sometimes he made stupid decisions, like playing to beat Luis at left back against Porto. Um, but he had the tendency to be able to get creative with some of his decision making, right? So, in the sense that we have a Nuno Tavares, who again I think is still similar to to Tomas Tavares, very green, um, coming into a situation where the team is today, the pressure is even worse, right? It's bad enough coming into the the, the first team with very little experience. Now you're in the first team where the team is in a little bit of turmoil and now you're expected to, to perform, right? He could have, I would have hoped that he could have got somewhat creative, right? Servi's played that left side for a long time, right? Why not give him that option, right? There's been situations where Servi in the past has played the whole left side and we've put in everything uh, on the line, right? So why not test that out, right? Let, he's got pace, he's a workhorse, Right. Let, why don't we get creative? Right. Another situation, George Jesus turned Enzo Perez into probably one of the best box to box midfielders that the Portuguese league has ever seen. And he's not a, a central midfielder. He, he came in as a right mid. Yeah. Right. So it's just that, and, and that I think comes with experience for Bruno Lage. And again, it's unfortunate that he, he ended up falling to the fate of the players in the locker room, I feel, and, and some mismanagement from the, from the president. But, I think this will be a learning experience for him going forward that, you know, sometimes when things get tough, you got to get, like you said, right. You got to, you got to stand up and and take control. Um, But also you need to find those solutions. And I feel like in the times where we needed to find that something different, that different solution in the team, he wasn't able to find that creativity um, that we needed. Found one. You had one solution. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> that was the only the only guy uh, we, which he turned from uh, an attacking midfielder or as a second forward into a box to box, which uh, is great going forward. But in terms of positioning and defending, probably the the one of the worst guys you have in that middle. Yeah, there's no discipline. That's the problem. His positional awareness is not very good, and which is expected for a guy that's used to playing further up the field. Yeah, right. Absolutely. He's, he's, so, I mean, good on him to be able to kind of pull him back, especially given the amount of money that he was on um, salary-wise. I mean, he's been collecting a, a hefty paycheck from <laughs> a few different teams over the last couple of years. But uh, the work that he did with him, I think, has been substantial, and he, and he deserves credit for that. And but unfortunately, it just it wasn't enough. And and it, again, it's not all his fault, but it's easier to let the coach go than it is to get rid of the whole team. Right. That's the Absolutely. reality of football. Absolutely. So, uh, as I mentioned, Dave, um, Nelson Verissim takes over uh, uh, this team. And uh, unlike uh, what a lot of people thought, that he was definitely part of, uh, of uh, Lodge's uh, technical staff. As a matter of fact, you may know him as the guy that got up off the bench. Uh, to uh, to basically set up everybody in dead ball situations. He is now uh, going to uh, oversee this team uh, and at least until the next game, which is Boa Vista. What do we know about Nelson Verissim? Uh, so he's been a part of Laj's uh, training staff, like you said, since 2012-2013, uh, uh, where he's been uh, a part of the Benfica B uh, training uh, uh, coaching staff there. Uh, got promoted with Laj uh, last season. Uh, he was al- he's also a former uh, player. He had uh, made one appearance for Benfica in the 96-97 uh, season. He's a defender who uh, mostly played for uh, Alverca, Academica, and uh, Stubel. So uh, a former player, but... Um, but it's I also a like, guy that's been at this came in with uh, Bruno Laj to the Seychelles in 2012-2013, but has remained... Uh, at the Seychelles throughout that time. So he didn't necessarily, uh, he, 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 he was part of the, the B team technical staff when Lodge took over, but he was a guy that had been uh, with the Seychelles set up during that time. Yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't go with uh, Lodge uh, when Lodge went over to uh, England, I believe, to be a part of uh, Carvajal's uh, yeah. uh, coaching staff. So he's been, he's been consistently there since 2012-2013, um, working with the B team, and he got promoted with Lodge uh, last season. Yeah, so usually when we see a, a, an exodus of the technical staff, and we did see, see some guys... Uh, that left with uh, Laj today. Verissim uh, is not one of them because he had uh, been at the Seychelles all this time. Um, I think it, it, it makes sense that uh, that Verissim uh, sees this thing out. Uh, as Cristiano mentioned, I, I don't no coach in their right mind would come and take over for a team now with with probably a month left over in this, uh, in this, well, yes, basically a month left in this, uh, in this season. Um, we have Boa Vista coming up, but started to lose this Saturday, Dave. Um, what's, what's going on with Boa Vista this, uh, this season? Yeah, this season, they're currently in, uh, eighth place, 10 wins, eight draws, uh, 11 defeats. Um, they just recently beat Santa Clara on uh, Sunday, one, uh, one nil. So, uh, Santa Clara beat us. Bovisha just beat them on uh, Sunday here. They're, uh, since the season uh, resumed, they've got three wins 
two losses. And uh, Benfica's uh, last 10 against Bovisha, seven wins, two draws, and uh, one defeat. Michael, what should, what should we expect from the team? Uh, is it going to be a real big telltale sign if all of a sudden the team turns around under Verissimo? Or do you think that the team is still going to associate Verissimo with Laj and they're going to conti- continue on their, their funk? I, I honestly don't even know what to expect. I mean, the, the expectation would be that, you know, they would continue. Um, but I think they might be in between uh, two mindsets here. But I, there's, there's so much pressure on the team that it's almost like they have to react, right? And they could attribute a reaction to the fact that, you know, it's a psychological reaction, it's a change, et cetera, even though Verissimo has been involved in that coaching staff, right? So I think if they react uh, in a positive way, it doesn't necessarily look good for the players. <laughs> if they react in a negative way, it doesn't look good for, you know, the players as well, right? And, like, and well, you know, their shit, and it doesn't look good for Vieta, right? So there's kind of a, it really depends on kind of what the goal was of the letdown, right? Were they just trying to get Bruno Lange out? Are they trying to send a larger message to the president? Um, in terms of expectations, uh, I would expect some sort of reaction given the climate around the club right now. I mean, if they were to lose again, just imagine how much worse it could be. Um, it, it's just going to turn into complete chaos. And for Vieta, it's going to be even much worse. I mean, they're going to be calling for his head worse than they are now. Um, and Bobis is not going to be a, an easy team to get through. Um, they're pretty well organized. Um, like Dave said, they've only lost two of their last three. They lost to Porto, and I think Mureirense was the other one that they lost, or two of their last five. Mureirense, I think, was the other one. But they just beat Santa Clara, who um, just, you know, smashed us at home uh, unexplainably. <laughs> um, so I, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see also in terms of uh, the squad, what he chooses. Um, if there's big changes, right? I know there's been a lot of people who've been calling for PZ to come out of the team. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he makes a decision like that um, to try to send a message. Um, it really just depends on kind of what his approach is. Is he going to be going with the safe option and try not to, you know, uh, cause any more um, uncertainty or, or, or problems within the locker room? Or is he going to say, you know what, I have a handful of games. I'm going to come in, do what I think is best. And if that means I need to pull you, you, and you out, I'm going to do that. But the problem off the back of that is he doesn't have very much depth to make those decisions, yeah. right? So, um, it, I'm hoping for a win. I can't, I, I was telling friends of mine, I, it's been tough already kind of being isolated at home and, and not being able to go out much. And then Benfica comes along and just makes it even worse. So I, yeah. I need some excitement in my life. Well, and, and I think that's the thing. And that's perhaps that's what has uh, so many people so angry, right? Because all this time shut in at home with this whole coronavirus, uh, being careful, working from home, Uh, not being able to socialize with, with your friends or go to the bar and watch the game. Uh, and finally, something to look forward. Wow, Benfica's coming back. This is, this is great. We're entering the final stretch. Let's, let's hope that. And then it's, it's misery upon misery, uh, bad performance on top of bad performance. Uh, Dave, if the team doesn't turn around uh, or if the team doesn't, prov- doesn't provide an answer, in this game against Boavista, or even a win, let's say, they really put themselves in, in, in a poor spot. And, and as Michael was saying, 
uh, because if they all of a sudden it's day and night and they turn it around, now they're going to make everyone realize that the, it was Lodge's fault and they weren't playing for Lodge on purpose. Uh, and I have a real problem with that, like I have it now. But if I come to the realization, and if the players made a lot of people make a lot of people realize, no player or staff member is above the club's values. And if you um, sacrificed your professionalism so you could get a point across, or so you could get a, a coach fired, now I have a problem with you because uh, you should be serving the club, not any coach. Uh, but really, this is a, a, really a predicament here for these players. Uh, how do you think the team uh, is going to respond? The knee-jerk reaction is they're going to play better, right? Because now they feel that it's it's a brand new day. It's a fresh start. Yeah, and they're they're playing for, I guess, some sort of uh, pride, right? They don't want to continue the way that they've been playing. And maybe they are taking it to heart that, okay, well, uh, maybe we didn't necessarily agree with Lodge and his tactics, but you know, uh, we just this man just lost a job. At the end of the day, Lodge is human; he just lost a job, and maybe this is a little bit of a kick in the ass to the players and a, a wake up call uh, for them to to smarten up their act. But it, it is kind of like a like you said, a lose lose situation because if they come out here and win uh, five five nothing against Boavista, then people are going to ask, well. Where was this team for the last couple of months, right? Because, uh, and then you do start to question whether they were playing uh, or not playing for for Lodge. So it's kind of a, a lose lose situation for the for the players. But the natural reaction you would you would hope to see from this team is that they they smarten up and, and they use this as a as a, a warning sign for them that. Uh, they might not have necessarily agreed with with Lodge, but you know what? They they might be next. There's there are changes coming to this club, and the same players that uh, you see in this locker room uh, today might ne- not necessarily be here when the season uh, starts up again uh, in August and or September. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, if if I'm uh, Luis Fluffier and and uh, I think my lucky star is that I'm not. Um, or Rui Costa or Tiago Pinto, you're looking at this roster and you have to to look to see who's going to be able to fit the project going forward, uh, right? Because right now this is a team in shambles. Uh, there's a couple of leaders that are that are clearly uh, the guys that are that are behind this 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 plot, whatever. Uh, but you got to look at this roster and see is is this roster good enough? Is this roster good enough to um, make the fans happy to have a good performance in Europe uh, that, uh, I mean, talks about, oh, uh, we want to be competitive in Europe. In, in five years' time, we want to be champions of Europe. You're not going to get there with these la- performances these past three, four years. So certainly you got to have a roster that's a lot more competitive, that's a lot more competent to play in Europe. And certainly when you look at this roster up and down and you look at the level of youth and inexperience in this roster, you have to say this roster is not ready. Some of these kids need to go back into the oven, cook a little more until they're done. Uh, and then there's other guys that if if their whole intent was – to get Laj out and their behavior it was conducive to that. Now you got to wonder about where's the loyalty from these guys or are these guys going to combine again to kick out another coach or to sabotage 
a project if they're not happy. So these are the things that we need to be looking at. But Michael, I don't know much about Nelson Verissimo in terms of what his game idea and what his game plan is, but I, I certainly don't expect a lot of tinkering from him uh, for his, these next five games if he is the guy to carry the team for five and then the Tassi Portugal. Yeah, there's, a, there's some rumors circulating that uh, Benfica is looking to find someone sooner rather than later. Um, so it seems like the, the pressure is on and they want to find uh, a permanent solution and not have Nelson Verissimo kind of there long term. But again, like you said, there's, he knows the team, right? So that's, that's his one benefit, right? He comes in having worked with players. So maybe he's been on the inside and has heard whispers or maybe he's seen certain things that maybe will help him make certain decisions um, for the next couple of games, or at least the next game, which he's most likely to be involved in unless we pull the trigger on something between now and then. But uh, there's, again, the, even between that, you know, wanting to make changes, but also not really having the options to make those changes, I think make it a little bit more difficult, right? There's there's quite a few injuries. I know Ruben Diaz and, and uh, Gabriel come back into the team, right? But at, in the back, right, the the team kind of picks itself once everyone's fit. I don't know if Tarat's going to come back yet or not, but again, he doesn't have many options. And like you were saying, in terms of the competence, I also want to make sure that we don't forget that this same team, after losing the third game of the season to Porto, rattled off 15 consecutive wins in the league. 15, right? And then we went and lost to Porto again. So, this same team has shown that even though they haven't played that well in certain phases, that they are capable. And I think they're not a very good squad in comparison to some of the ones we've seen in the past, but they're good enough to win the Portuguese league on top of the fact of how poor Porto's been. I mean, yes, there's six points ahead of us, but this is one of the worst Porto teams we've seen in years. Right. And, the fact that they were so far ahead, not playing well with this squad, um, I think is very telling of of how poor the Portuguese league has been this year and maybe even the last couple of years. Um, and then when you when you put this squad, right, and they say, oh, we want to compete in Europe. When you look at the squad that, again, George Jesus had in that final against Chelsea, right? I mean, he had guys, you know, and that Almeida, which is still there, but Luizão, Garay, Enzo Perez, Matic, Rodrigo, Gaetan, Cardoso, Salvio. On the bench, he had Jardel, Aymar, André Gomes, Lima, right? Like, those are difference makers, right? You need you, When push comes to shove and you need to make a decision and you need someone who's going to make a difference, you have those guys. Mifika doesn't have those guys on the field at the moment, let alone on the bench, right? So it's going to be – I don't expect him to make too many changes, but he may – Again, based on him being on the inside, and he may know something that you know we don't see on the outside that he could make one or two big changes. And I think if if that does happen, I think that'll be very telling of what's going on in that locker room. Yeah, no, absolutely, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree, and and I'm I'm curious to see uh, what what does what does happen uh, with this team and how this team respond, but. Certainly, I think that there's a there, there's a, there's a huge hand in from the team and and what happened to Laj. And again, I, you know, I feel bad for the guy. Um, I certainly don't feel bad for all the heartache and and, and aggravation and agita that he has uh, caused me. Uh, and look, he, there, there's plenty of faults that we could point out to Laj. Uh, the fact that he had 
no experience uh, as a senior manager, takes over Benfica. Uh, last year, he kind of rode on, on a couple of talented players. Uh, and then he just rode on a fact, as, as, uh, as you mentioned, Michael, uh, no pressure. Came in in a situation where there was no pressure. He was just he was just going to see the championship out, uh, and game by game, game by game, as he as he used to say all the time, three points here, three points there, three points there. Went to Porto, uh, uh, won against Porto like in, in a way that we hadn't seen in a very long time. Uh, played against Sporting. Next year comes back, not the same, different circumstances. Uh, lost Juan Felix, lost Jonas, uh, certainly. Uh, the president didn't do much to to replace those absences. Uh, I mean, we went and got forwards that are, I don't know what happened with RDT. He couldn't adapt. Uh, meanwhile, he's a guy that, that goes to Spain, uh, puts in a handful of, uh, of great performances. Now he's, he's right at the door of the national team to be considered for a call-up. I mean... So what happens here is is it didn't he adapt or the coach didn't find the right conditions to make him fit in a team because if you go and spend 22 million on a player you have to kind of adapt the team to be able to fit to his style or you get a guy to the position and to fit exactly how you want him to fit on a team. You lost a guy like Jean Felix, a guy that played well in between lines, that combined well, that opened up spaces for the guy in front of him. Is Hold Tomas that guy? No, absolutely not. Uh, so you didn't really replace him. You went and bought a guy for $22 million, but you didn't really replace him. So there's a gap right there. And then the fact that you couldn't get it set up to RDT so he could be a prolific scorer like he he has been since he went back to La Liga. Now you have a pro- I have a problem. I have a problem with tons of substitutions that he made. The hesitation, uh, the, the touching the team when the team doesn't need to be touched, um, not touching the team when the team. Uh, there's there's plenty of things that we could point out to uh, to Lage. I think that uh, much like you, Michael, I'm a I'm a, a purist uh, for the game, and I love when coaches are in a, in a post. Uh, or a pre-game uh, uh, conference, and they're talking X's, X's and O's. They're talking phases of the game. They're explaining, and they're breaking down certain parts of the game. I love that. Uh, I hate when when uh, questions about the refereeing uh, or about other coaches or about other teams are brought up uh, because that that's not how I, I see football. Uh, and Lash really appealed to me, and it really kind of fell in my good graces because he was a guy that kind of fit that mold of coach that I wanted to see at Benfica, a guy that understood the game, a modern coach, but it all went went downhill. So, look, I just wanted to to, um, to thank Brunelage for, for last season, obviously. I mean, it was quite a memorable season for every single Benficaista. Uh, and, and really, the guy went from being adored in the savior of the team after those those months and, and, and years with uh, Rui Vitoria to now he's just, He's, he's, the, he's the villain. He's the, the guy that ends up falling on the sword. Uh, and it's unfortunate because I, uh, I wish I had been in, in better terms. I wish I had been in his terms, but unfortunately that's not the way football is. Uh, and the same thing that happened Laj might happen to the, the next coach. Who, who knows what happens. Uh, but certainly uh, I'm curious to see how the team responds. And, and I think that now that – uh, at least most of the Benfica's their expectations is now that okay, well, let's just 
work on on putting some kind of some solid performances for the rest uh, of the season these next five games build something up uh, create that unity within the team create that uh that that solid uh, impression that the team used to have to control games, to dominate teams, to not struggle against the motor dancers of this world in the second half where all you're doing is limiting yourself to defend. Let's put a, a good five performances in and then enter the Jamor with serious ambitions to beat Porto. Uh, because if anything, if you still want to salvage at least a little bit, tiny bit of your season, Uh, and make Benfiquistas uh, go on to the off-season at least a bit happy, you have to win this Taça de Portugal at the Jamor. Yeah, would anyone, would any of you guys, oh, sorry, Dave, I was just going to say, would any of you guys be surprised if these guys came out firing in the next game? Because it wouldn't surprise me I after what happened not. with Rui Vitoria and then the next game, I believe, was against Rio Ave that Bruno Lage took over and I, I believe we were down 2-0 or 2-0 at the Luz and come back and win four to two, I believe, right? Yep. So yep. it would not surprise me at all if these guys came out guns blazing, which again is a terrible look for them, but. Yeah, look, uh, the Chicago the Psychologica is always there, uh, right? So that's the, you know, the, the psychological uh, whipping, if you will, meaning now that this happened, now it kind of refreshes or it, it switches a trigger in the players' minds. So it, there's always some kind of a, a, a reflex uh, action by the players or demonstration by the players as a result of losing a coach. So, But I'm curious to see what this team uh, does for the next five games. And ultimately, I think that uh, you, you really have to look at the Taça de Portugal on August 2nd and really uh, bring it home. Dave. No, I was just going to say that the way the team that has been playing uh, lately, uh, second place is, isn't even guaranteed at uh, the moment. If uh, Sporting has a game uh, that they got to play tomorrow, if they win that, it's nine points with five to go. And the, there's a game still to be played against Sporting, the last, uh, last game of the season. So it's not like we can just throw a bunch of B players in there, see who's uh, clicking in. Uh, yeah. There are still there is still something to play for, uh, and if uh, we don't turn this around, second place could also be up uh, for grabs, which is crazy because at one point Sporting was what twenty points behind us or eighteen points behind us, and now we're we got to think about Sporting catching uh, catching us for second place here. Yeah, but here's where Luis Fiera comes in, right? Because if you don't make that Champions League, that's a lot of money that you're missing out on. So now that's when he kind of tightened things up. Uh, and lets the players know you got to make this Champions League because if you don't make this Champions League, there's going to be hell to pay. So we'll just we'll even just that, have to see. I think even that is a which is the thing that kind of pisses me off even more is the fact that Porto is struggling the way that they're struggling financially. They're they're struggling. They need to make some big sales this season this summer to uh, kind of meet the financial fair play requirements. But first place in the Winning the title in Portugal would give them direct access to the Champions League, and it's about a $40 million yeah. dollar, uh, uh, payment, right? Whereas now, second place is uh, we have to fight to get in, and then the, the price point is a little bit different, right? So not only are we giving a team who is struggling financial a significant injection of money, right? But on top of that, we blew a significant lead. It's our biggest rival. It's just like, a complete calamity at this point. It's, it's so far. We're like giving them life again. Yeah. Like we, we 
here's the oxygen tank guys. We're going to help you guys out. Yeah, no, look, uh, as you mentioned, uh, aside from, from basically handing this championship on a silver platter to Porto, you're also giving them a lifeline in terms of direct qualification to the champions league, because when you have to make that many sales, that means that most of their more important players are going to go, right? Because no other player is going to be worth that much money. Oh, I, I believe they have to make 100 mil uh, in sales, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And I know that the UEFA came out with something that they might forgive them now this season because of COVID, but then all of that is going to retro down the road, yeah. uh, right? Uh, but we've absolutely gifted this championship to Porto. And it's unbelievable how bad Porto has been. And we're like, hold my beer. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's just been bad. Uh, anyway, let's, let's uh, wrap this out. I know that Cristiano stepped away for a second. That's why you haven't heard him speak. Uh, but um, Dave, parting thoughts, man. We'll see what uh, happens on uh, Saturday. But um, like we discussed, I won't be shocked if they win 5 nothing. But uh, I also won't be shocked if we end up losing. It's just the way that uh, this team has been playing uh, lately. It's just like expect the unexpected with uh, with these guys, but um, sad times in uh, Benfica land, for sure. Yeah. Michael, tell um, tell everyone where they could find you on social media and also uh, continue Benfiquista. Yeah, so uh, you can check it out on the website. So, ucantinubenfiquista.com. On Twitter, I have my own personal account. So, M. Gonzalez, uh, number 10. Um, and then on Facebook, ucantinubenfiquista is on there as well. So, um, again, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's great to have a good conversation about, about our team. And I'm hopeful for a win uh, this weekend. It's It's been painful Um these last couple of weeks, I know we've beat VOAV, but it didn't really feel like a win given the circumstances. But uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, to the game and, and hopefully there's some changes. But again, thank you guys for the opportunity and, and hopefully, uh, you know, we will talk soon again in the future. Yeah, no problem. You could find uh, Cristiano at 10CO10 on Twitter, Dave87, uh, DO87. I always got to think that because that 87 throws me <laughs> off. Uh, Dave 87 do 87 uh, on Twitter, Benfica at Benfica Podcast on Twitter. Also, uh, Benfica Podcast is one of the founding projects of Benfica Independent uh, for all uh, independent content on Benfica, mostly in Portuguese, but there's a few languages there. Check out BenficaIndependent.com. Uh, several features. We also have a Patreon uh, for those of you that want to uh, support uh, the project uh, with two. Uh, two stages of, uh, of support level. So definitely check that out. If you can uh, uh, at SLB independent, uh, is on Twitter. Um, and that's it. Don't forget to check out our website. Also, if is where you will find all our podcasts. Thank you very much for checking us out next week. We'll be back. We'll recap, uh, the Wolvista Vista game. Hopefully it will be a win and we'll look ahead to Benfica's next match. Michael, thank you again for coming. Dave, always a pleasure to see you. Good to have you return. Cristiano, wherever you are, see you later, my friend.